everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Faith to Go podcast, your one-stop shop for everything you need to have faith discussions throughout your week with your friends and with your family. My name is David Tremaine, the once and future digital resource curator for Faith to Go. And I'm Charlotte Pressler, the youth missioner for the Episcopal Diocese of San Diego, which sounds so much less important (laughs) and worldly than your new title, David. (laughs) Once and future anything has like an air about it, you know, I think. New and improved. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes, and welcome everyone to the Faith to Go podcast. Uh, We are so glad that you are here with us for this week leading up to July 18th uh, for proper, what is it, proper 11 in your liturgical calendars. Uh, we are back here with you to talk about the gospel for the Sunday, to pull out some points, and uh, to see what emerges from your faith discussion and reflection. And as I said, you know, I'll be doing some more formalized work with faith to go in the future. I don't know if anybody's been paying attention to the, to my story arc here, but you know, I started <laughs> off <laughs> in a very formal role with faith to go, and then I was doing I was the full-time minister of formation at Good Sam and doing really just the podcast. Actually, I was doing some content curation uh, also. But anyway, uh, Charlotte and I are going to do some reimagining for Faith to Go in the next few months over the summer. So I'm excited to work on that and uh, just, you know, be out here having conversations with people, figuring out what people need. So we would love to hear from, you know, you on what you like about Faith to Go, what you want to see from Faith to Go. What would be helpful for you to for us to to bring you every week? Mm-hmm. Um, and we would also always love to hear your uh, places you saw God, your um, reflections on the gospel, and any questions or comments you have. You can email us, faith2go at edsd.org. You can contact us through the website, myfaith2go.org, and you can also follow us or contact us through Instagram, at faith2go. Uh, and, and David, yeah. I have to tell you, we didn't get a chance to chat about this earlier, but we have an email with a God sighting. Should I share what? it? Yeah, that's what we should I talk know. about for sure. Okay, share it. Let's let's do it. Email Okay, time. We, re- we received an email from Helen Davies, and this is what it says. God can show up anywhere, even in sport, where it can bring disparate people together to support one team. This week I saw God in the European Soccer Championships. I've enjoyed watching it with my teenage sons who are passionate and knowledgeable about the game and players. Precious parent and child moments. One particular God moment was when one team found itself two goals up against a long standing rival. The ecstasy of the fans as they clung to each other and jumped in joy was quite something. I look forward to continuing seeing God as the tournament continues. Peace, Helen Davies. That's awesome. Thank you, Helen. That's so cool. Yes. There's a lot of soccer championships going on right now, actually. There's like all these lead-up tournaments to the uh, World Cup, which happens next year. So, well, And I love like that Helen's reflection was not just about the joy of the fans, which right. joy is certainly something that's contagious. But those parent and child moments, they are mm. precious, as she said, across ages. You know, yeah. there are special moments with your toddlers and with your elementary schools age children, but particularly with teens, those ways that we are able to bond across that age bracket in particular, yay for soccer. So cool. (laughs) Thank you, Helen. Thank you, Helen, for taking the time to reach out to us to share with us where you saw God this week. And as I said before, you can contact us through all those different pathways, and we would love to hear 
from you all, where you saw God, what came out of the gospel for you, and just what, what was coming up for you this week in your week of uh, spiritual reflection. Uh, it's so funny that Helen was the e- person that emailed. I know Helen because she goes to St. Andrew's Episcopal Church, uh, where my wife is the rector, Mary Lynn Colson. And my God sighting, where I saw God this past week, involved Helen. Because uh, I was at St. Andrew's this past week, and it was the first week that they that the, the congregation was going to go inside and worship inside since COVID started. And so I was there because I you don't have anywhere to be on Sunday mornings anymore. And so I was there out on the patio, and Mary Lynn led a, a, like a litany, um, like a call and response, uh, like thinking about the last year and like what we've lost and what we've gained and the people that we've lost and like carrying them with us as we go back into the sanctuary. And we processed into the sanctuary uh, to music, and I was walking behind Helen. And she had like her hand up in the air, and she was uh, waving her hand, and she was like, I just like had this overwhelming feeling of the joy of this community, you know, and it was Helen, but it was everybody, you know, that was like, and this was my first, this is really my first Sunday, just as like a non-church employee, like, you know, being in this place. So, but I was carrying with me all of the ways that I've like watched Mary Lynn go through this whole pandemic with this community, with St. Andrews and the perseverance that, that Helen and many other people many other leaders at St. Andrews have shown and like just like the weight of that moment because it wasn't just walking into the sanctuary you know like it carried everything from the last year and a half with it and like in Helen's joy I felt like the joy of the community and so and and her saying the joy of the fans like brought up joy for her so it's this cool way that that other that our joy can trigger you know, and bring up joy for other people too. You know, the way that we yeah. witness like open space for people. So I'm thankful for Helen and for St. Andrews and for all the communities that are celebrating their reconnection uh, in yeah. these days. And David, as you know, I tend to be a big fan of the Reverend Marilyn Colson. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that she had a litany before you guys went inside um, and an opportunity for people to reflect as they walked through that door, because it's joyous to return to the sanctuary. But I also know that there's some things that we have to put down as we go. Uh And so naming those and creating space for reflection about them. For me, as I picture you guys walking inside, I see them laid at the foot of the altar to make room for the joy of being back in that community together. Uh Uh Yeah, so cool. So again, we would love to hear from you all where you saw God, what your re-entry is like into the world. Uh, and thank you again to Helen for taking the time uh, to share with us where she saw God this week. So uh, we're now going to transition to our gospel discussion. Uh, Charlotte is going to read the gospel, and then we are going to each uh, share a point. So the gospel for this coming Sunday, July 18th, is from Mark 6, verses 30 to 34, and then... 53 to 56. Jump in 20 verses almost. What? Very interesting. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, 
and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When they had crossed over, they came to a land at Genesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. All right. Thank you, Charlotte. So, uh, interestingly, you uh, heard those 20 verses that got skipped. Uh, what we're hearing here is the first, uh, in Mark chapter 6, um, we heard the death of John the Baptist recounting recounted last week. That was up to verse 29, and now verse 30 is the very next thing. So this is the very next thing that happens after the end of the gospel from last week. So then we hear four verses from 30 to 34, which is actually the beginning of a larger block, which includes the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark's gospel, and then Jesus walking on water out to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. So when it says that uh, he saw them going, now many saw him going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As, as he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Then, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and the hours are very late. What are we going to do? We need to send these people away so they can eat for themselves. And then he does the collecting of the fishes and loaves and breaks it all, all apart, feeds everybody. And then he gets, he makes his disciples get into a boat and go on ahead to the other side. And as they're straining at the oars in the middle of the night, he walks out on the water. And then... 53, when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret. So that's, it's interesting that they took those like two parts and stuck them together as if they're like one story yeah. and skipped these middle parts. So I'm guessing we'll hear those stories later in the lectionary cycle for year B. But anyway, that's what's happening. We're like still in this place. We're just, they're going, they're just doing their ministry around this Galilee region around the sea of lots it's really i've never really noticed until now when we've done this how much happens on and around the sea of galilee like what a big mm -hmm. character almost <laughs> the sea of galilee is because so far like jesus has calmed a storm and then now walked on water things happen on the shores a lot he's teaching people on the shores a lot and uh yeah so it's just really interesting the kind of the role that that the geography and the place plays because it's so it's so interesting like when we because when it's so episodic we kind of almost lose the the geographical kind of context of where this is all mm -hmm. happening but like it had an effect you know like there's mountainous regions there's like there's this big sea with like a like a like towns and stuff you know it's, it's all it's all part of it and and like the the, the reason that the feeding of the 5000 even happens is because Jesus is constantly like going out to these deserted places because he like can't go into towns and cities anymore because he just gets like rushed mobbed. by all the mobbed mm -hmm. by all these people so 
So like it, the ha- the feeding of the five thousand happens because of the context and the geography. We're not talking about that today, but like just something to think about and keep in mind for the future. So that's where we are. The last part that Charlotte read is the very end of chapter six, and then we're on to chapter seven. So we'll see what the lectionary brings us next week. But for this week, we are talking about this gospel, Mark six thirty to thirty four, fifty three to fifty six, and Charlotte has the first point. I do. And I find the way the lectionary works fascinating. Um, The people that decided what we read, when and how we read it, and particularly the way that this section is put together. Um, Truthfully, if you had to give this section a title, it might be Jesus doesn't get to take a break. Um, (laughs) But that's because of the way it's pushed together, right? And as I was reflecting on this gospel and thinking about it, I was thinking about those times when I am desperately in need of a break, mm-hmm. um, when I have had my maximum, my fill, and I feel like it's time for me to get on the boat and go across to the other place and, and take a break, um, which is what we hear Jesus saying to the disciples at the beginning of this. But when they get there and they see the great crowd, instead of being like, no, I'm sorry, I just told the disciples they need to take a break. And I promise you, these disciples, they really need a break. They have been working so hard. I need them to eat something and maybe take a nap and then we'll be with you. Instead, Jesus is Jesus and he has compassion on them. He can never look past the person who is hurting and be like, not now. Um, I'm so sorry. The time is not right. Not now. And By no means am I calling us to exhaustion or the exhaustion that comes from overworking ourselves. But I think that even in those moments when we desperately need a break ourselves, that there is still room for compassion. Mm -hmm. That there is times that the person that actually needs the compassion is us and we can reflect on what's going on. And instead of continuing to push, maybe afford ourselves room for healing and fortifying and all of those things that Jesus provides to the crowd, especially knowing that the feeding of the 5,000 is part of what we miss in here, right? Like he, he fortifies people with actual food in addition to healing and all of the other things, but also that compassion that we give others. It doesn't cost much to be compassionate, um, except perhaps a little bit of ego sometimes, but when someone else is hurting and when they are struggling it's not a question of carrying the box upstairs for them. It's about creating space to see and to honor and to listen to another person, to see God in that person, to see their vulnerability, to honor who they are in their struggles and their reality. Mm-hmm. And in offering them that compassion, then perhaps we are also providing compassion for ourselves. Some of the times that I think that I have best received compassion is in another person's raw vulnerability um, of their naming of mistakes or challenges or struggles. And as I've listened to them and I felt compassion for them as they have been traveling through that period of their lives, it's also meant that I could reflect that onto myself and realize, A, it's okay for me to be vulnerable for me to name the ways in which I'm not doing it right instead of trying so hard to focus on the things I am doing right. And B, what would it look like if I forgave myself for my mistakes and my struggles? And Mm -hmm. if I turned that compassion around that I was willingly giving to someone else, 
and offered it to myself too. Mm -hmm. And if we could live into it that way, if we could live into compassion being like, compassion doesn't need a break. We do Mm -hmm. sometimes. Sometimes we need a rest and a snack, just like a toddler. (laughs) But, But compassion doesn't. Compassion doesn't. And that's saying that there is always room for compassion, even when we are exhausted, but that sometimes what the compassion looks like is compassion for ourselves. Mm -hmm. I love how that kind of that, the idea that like in creating Jesus is like creating space, extending compassion to the disciples and then like extending compassion to this crowd, which means the disciples have to go like, you know, end their kind of restful time to figure out what to do with the crowd but but it's like he's he's like trying to he's kind of like creating this domino effect of compassion you know that so like he has compassion on the disciples and then they're able to have had the space and have the space in themselves to be compassionate for the crowd even though they kind of they kind of just want to send the crowd away i guess (laughs) (laughs) but anyway um we should just focus on the readings uh for for today but Anyway, the without thinking about the you know the feeding part, um, I'm struck by the thing that my point from this and the thing that I'm struck by is that kind of domino effect, but the way that it shows up at the at the end of the reading, um, because I was really struck by this language, this about how uh, wherever wherever he went into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. And if the first thing that I think we are meant to, the fir- like that language touch the fringe of his cloak doesn't come up very much. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, I think it's meant to, to, um, to bring up for us the story of the hemorrhaging woman from whatever, two or three weeks ago that we talked about. And like, that she i think it's just like such a cool thing that she is present in she is present here you know and so and and her the legacy she has a legacy in every healing that happens after her healing so that even here two or whatever chapters later uh in mark's gospel the effects of her healing are still being felt they're kind of like reverberating out from her moment with Jesus to be the healing, to be like a healing movement for all these people that like her capacity to be courageous and pushing through kind of these barriers of separation, her capacity to be courageous in claiming her own healing, the faith that she has, that she will be healed. It's not just creating space for her to be healed, but then her healing creates space for other people to be healed. It creates the pathways for other people's healing. And so in the same way that like the compassion, compassion towards others can create compassion towards ourselves and compassion that we feel creates our capacity for compassion to others. The same way that like Helen, uh, both of our kind of like uh, God sightings in the beginning were like joy sparked in us by seeing other people's joy. Mm -hmm. Um, Our healing can create a domino effect of healing when an, and like the barriers we break down can create a domino effect of justice and inclusion. Um, and so, and so it's like taking just, I'm just in awe of the woman 
the hemorrhaging woman still. And so is Mark, I think. And so is Jesus. And so are all the people that like this obscure figure has changed the trajectory of healing in this entire region for this entire group of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this person who was rejected and excluded and caused to continue to suffer for so long through her perseverance, her courage, her faith, others find their faith, others find their healing, others find their inclusion. And um, it's just really such such an amazing witness for us to know that our, our actions reverberate beyond ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and our capacity to, to create rest and compassion reverberates beyond ourselves and our, our joy and our work compa- re- reverberates beyond ourselves as does our suffering and our trauma, you know, and like mm-hmm. we can, we get, we decide at some point it's our decision whether, you know, we're going to pass along the trauma or do the work of healing and pass along the healing. And that it, when we're healing, we're not just healing ourselves, but generations, you know, where our healing is reverberating out from us. And so I'm, you know, still in awe of the hemorrhaging woman, this yeah. chapters later, um, weeks later, maybe in Jesus's life. And so I love her legacy and I'm glad that people are continuing to touch the fringe of Jesus's garment because they know that she did it first. That it's enough. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think that one of the things, one of the words I always have heard in conjunction with the hemorrhaging woman is relentless, that she was relentless in her pursuit of healing. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of putting relentless, which let's face it, can sometimes have a bit of a negative connotation with it, um, or at least a strong connotation with it. But if you pair relentless with compassion, mm-hmm. What is it like? What does it look like to have relentless compassion, mm. to never give up on being compassionate, even in those moments when it's somebody for whom being compassionate might be challenging for you? What would it be look like if you were relentless in your offering of compassion, just like that woman was in seeking compassion for herself, which mm. then spilled yeah. over to create the opportunity for compassion for so many others? Mm-hmm. Such a good question. That's a great question to end on, I think. Uh, and so we have our, had our two points. And mm-hmm. to recap, uh, point number one was Charlotte's. It is about compassion, Jesus creating rest and having compassion towards the disciples and towards himself. Um, and you know, because the, that story, another one of the stories we didn't hear in the middle there was Jesus walking on water. The only reason he's not with the disciples in the boat is because he's taking time for himself to rest. And so that compassion can have that domino effect, that compassion does not need need a break, but we do. Uh, mm-hmm. And number two was mine, to follow from that one, just thinking about the, the legacy of healing of the hemorrhaging woman, of people continuing to touch the fringe of Jesus' garment because she did, and being um, the model uh, and the icon mm-hmm. of healing, and how we, our healing reverberates beyond ourselves. Uh, whenever we can do it. So having heard those points, we would love to hear your third point. You bring the third point this week. You can email us your third point. You can email us your uh, questions or comments from this week of faith discussion, or you can email us where you saw God this past week, faithtogo at edsd.org. Contact us through the website, myfaithtogo.org, or you can contact us through or follow us on Instagram 
at faith to go and we will be back with uh, the gospel leading up to July 25th proper 12 and until then we say goodbye bye, bye everybody, everybody.